Hey, Urban Spensters, welcome back to part two of my interview with Gilbert Bale for my series on McLaren Hall, The Sin of Being a Single Mother in Poverty. Make sure you are subscribing to this podcast because now only subscribers will have access to all episodes. Again, only subscribers will have access to all past episodes. Okay, so make sure you are subscribing, liking, sharing, and commenting on YouTube. And you can also leave a comment if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify. All right, so here is part two of the interview with Gilbert Bale. There was some people that did really look out for me. Um, if not, you know, if not, I probably wouldn't be here. I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't have came home. So you know, was, did your family ever visit you, your mom or your grandma visit you during this whole 20 year time? My, grandma, my grandma got denied for 21 years, her visiting farms. I didn't see my grandma the whole time. You know, she's 85 now and she's still alive. You know, she used to tell me on the phone, I, you know, mijo, I didn't raise you like that. I didn't raise you like this. And you don't, you have to come home. I, I don't want to die till you come home. I don't want to die with you. And, um, you know, that's hard. That, that was hard. That's heavy on my heart. I, I carried that with me, you know. There was a lot of good decisions I made because of that helped me weigh, you know, the consequences. Um, but my grandma was not allowed to visit me. She picked me up from prison or picked me up from Solidar prison. No. Why did they deny her? They said because she wasn't being honest in the visiting form. She she had got her son, my uncle, was getting beat up by the police that came to our the police were always at our house. Police came to our house one day. There was some domestic violence going on. They when they finally got my uncle to come out of the house, they beat him up in the front yard. My grandma went out there and was trying to pull the police off. Mm. They arrested her. So because she didn't put that in the things, they, they could deny her. My mother, because of the history, like with the drug and me going to CPS and all that, she had a long history. They denied her for almost eight years. So she couldn't visit me for my pretty much my first eight years. And um, But she went to visit me the whole 21 years. She would go pick up my daughter. She would pick up my daughter's mother with her so that they could walk in so I could have a relationship with my daughter and she would wait outside of the prison and so that I could have a relationship mm. with her. and um it's funny it's funny how things happen right um I'm working with youth in prison I'm in Corcoran prison on a level four doing youth diversion one day ABC News gets invited to come in and do this story and the uh, Fresno B newspaper so they mic me up. Um, I have kids there. Well, you know, when the media comes, so does all the people in the offices. You know, some of them I never seen in my life. So <laughs> we're kids show up. There's two wardens in there. You know, one from the old Corcoran, one from New Corcoran. There's all these administrative people in there. Cap everybody's all suits, ties, and mm -hmm. this is our program. And look what we're doing. <laughs> taking all the PR, right? And um. I'm mic'd up and they're asking me, you know, reporters asking me questions and, you know, I'm hyping up the program so that we could get more kids in there. 
And the warden comes and tells me, Gilbert, if there's ever anything I can do for you, you let me know. And I told him, warden, you know what? Approve my mom to let me visit her. Mm. He said, well, what's going on? I said, well, she's been sending visiting forms, letters to you, and it just get denied, like rubber stamp, denied, denied, denied. No explanation. And he goes, well, why do you think they're denying her? I go, my mom has a history with drugs and incarceration, but my mom's a drug and alcohol counselor in the South Side of Chicago, working with kids, working with people out there. She's been doing it for a long time. She comes out here from Chicago and to L.A. and drives wherever prison I'm at so I can see my daughter. Just let her in, man. I want to see my mom. And he said, have her write a letter directly to me, and I'll approve the visit. Within about a month, my mom's coming to visit me. Wow. Your so, mom's coming from Chicago? From Chicago. My mom <laughs> visited me for almost the whole 21 years my mom was coming, you know. But like I said, she had to wait outside for the first eight years. But she drove, well, she flew out here from Chicago to L.A., picked up my daughter, drive sometimes eight and a half hours to the prison, and wait outside. Not even get to see me. Drive all the way home, get in the plane, go, go back, back to Chicago. You know how expensive that is? Yes, I do. <laughs> my mom did that the whole time. Oh and she always, always made sure that I had you know, money on my books to buy soap and a toothbrush and deodorant and, you know, some soup. So those days, I didn't, you know, there's some days the food is unbearable. I, you know, she and, and I used to tell my mom, like, you don't have to do this. You know, you know, I felt bad like that. I felt so much guilt, you know, and shame. Like, I'm a grown man and my mommy's taking care of me, you know. And my mom was like, no, I'm not going to leave you in there like that. Like, that's, that's not right, you know. You're down, we're going to help you. As long and as she you had been it. there herself, so she knew what it was like. Yeah, my mom was, man, my mom was number one. You know, she stayed behind my back, though. Wrote me letters every month and visit me, you know, sometimes twice a year. You know, at least once a year, my mom came to visit me. She would have came more often, but I used to tell her, Mom, don't come. Why? Well, I want to see you. And I'm like, don't come, Mom. It's too expensive. Like, don't. Or, or, you know, sometimes she would come all the way and we're locked down and I got to go behind. Yeah, you got to go back. Uh -huh. or, or no visit. Mm -hmm. So she had to go back after flying in. Oh, my mom's pretty, you know, my mom, my mom's old school. She's gangster. So <laughs> she ain't taking no for that. I remember <laughs> one time we went on lockdown at Solidarity Prison. The whole prison had nothing to do with me. There was like a little melee on the yard. Um, you know, maybe 10 on 10. And the next day, it was like on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, visits, everything shut down or slammed down. I'm in the cell. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't even call home to tell them, don't come. And uh, that morning, Saturday morning, I told the floor officer, hey, I got a visit coming. Are they going to let me go? She said, no, no visits. And I was like, man. Excuse me. So... I got my clothes ready. I got all ready for the visit. And I said, you never know. But I had pretty much, you know, chopped it up. There's no visit. And all of a sudden, the police come to my door. They knock on my door and I said, Gilbert, I don't know how you did it. <laughs> you are going to be the only one on this yard going to visit today. And I was like, they said, but you have to wear this jumpsuit and you're going in cuffs. 
I said, man, I don't care. <laughs> Go. So I put on this white jumpsuit. They cuffed me up and they walked me all the way to the visiting room. They put me behind glass. And my mom walks in and she's mad. My mom's, my mom's there with my daughter. They're like, you know how long we've been out there? <laughs> they were telling me. So my mom, back then, you had to call and get an appointment. Mm-hmm. My mom called the prison, talked to the lieutenant, the visiting lieutenant, and said, I'm coming from Chicago. I, I don't want my visit to get canceled because, you know, when the visiting rooms get too packed, they go in there and start, hey, your visit's canceled. You got to leave. Your visitor got to leave. So my mom, if you come from over 200 miles, they're not supposed to do it. And if you come from out of state, you're over 200 miles. So my mom used to call and say, I'm coming out of state. I haven't been there in a year. I don't want my visit to get canceled. Am I good to go? Yes. If you have any problems, here's my number. You call me. So the lieutenant gave her the number. My mom gets to the front. They don't want to let her in. She says, the lieutenant told me that if anything happened, that I'm to call him. I want you to call the lieutenant or I'm going to go back outside and call him on my phone. So they call the visiting lieutenant, goes over there, and he's like, man, they're locked down. I can't let you visit. She goes, you told me. And he had told her, if um, if anything happens, I'll call you and let you know the visit's got, like, there's no visit. And then he didn't call her. I don't think he, he, you know, he calculated that this can happen. So he said, I'm sorry I told you that, but you can't come in. She said, I'm not leaving, man. You're going to let me see my son. So he's like, look, do you have this stub from the plane in the in the um, motel? Yes. All right, let me see it. And he got it, went to whoever he had to do, the captain probably. And they said, bring him, and, you know, put him behind glass with a white jumpsuit. <laughs> and I got, you know, probably about a good five, six hour visit that day. Oh, I wow. Got. But I couldn't, they couldn't come back the next day. But that's how much my mom, you know, how much my mom, you know, what she did, man, what she did for me. You know, my mom did the time with me there the whole time. My daughter, my grandma, everybody, you know, my family. My family paid a lot behind on my decision making. You know, I came home, I lost one of my brothers. You know, one of my brothers got killed by the police one year before I came home. Mm. So that was, you know, that's still affecting my family to this day. And, uh, you know, my brother was a gang member. Like, I'm the oldest one. I was supposed to protect him. I was supposed to be the good example. I was supposed to be the role model. So, But there's so much responsibility placed on kids. You were a kid. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. even though you had younger siblings, you're not the adult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that wasn't your job. But that's kind of the environment that so many find themselves in. They become the parent. Yeah. to their younger siblings because the parents aren't being parents yeah. especially like people that come from our backgrounds you know there's you know that's that's the way we get taught man when you come from those you know that social economic status you know when you come from those certain geographical areas like that's the way you're taught like you take care of your sister and your brothers at all means necessary you know, you make sure that they're, if, if you got to do wrong, you do wrong. You know, if they're hungry, you go do what you got to do. You won't be in trouble if you do that. But I mean, we, I still got in trouble, but <laughs> yeah, I still got in trouble. But it was, that's, that was ingrained, you know, and watching, you know, when I was a kid watching my, my sister and my brother's dad, like beat up my mom, you know, like, like, like a man, beat her like a man. It was like, 
me having to remove my sisters out of my sister out of the room. My brothers are crying. It's like I can't cry. I can't be like sit in the corner and, and just be an eight year old or a six year old, whatever age I was. Like I got to get him to safety. You know, I got to go peel this guy off my mom. I got to go comfort my mom. I got to wait. Sometimes the ambulance get there, the police get there. And then, you know, I got to go, you know, I'm carrying my little brother, pushing the stroller. We didn't have a car. My mom didn't, my mom didn't have a car till I was in my twenties. Wow. We went on the bus. We went on the RTD, man. The rough, yeah. tough thing. <laughs> in LA, you know? A rough, tough and dirty. That's what we used to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We went everywhere on the bus, you know, and there was four kids. You know, we lived on welfare and we were poor. We all got our haircuts at the barber college, you know. When we got a pair of shoes, everybody got one the same day. And, and they were the same, you know, it was the same. You're not going to fight over shoes. You get, it was like always, that's the way we live, you know. And when things happen, you know how to deal with them, you know, and I knew how to deal with it when you know, when I had contact with the police, when I had contact with the system, like, even though I'm a kid, I knew how to deal with it. And I'm talking, when I say deal with it, I knew how to deal with it in an unhealthy way. Yeah. You know, I knew how to protect. I knew how to protect the life. I knew how to protect, you know, so, because when I, I lived with my grandma, I didn't have no other, like, there was nowhere else for me to go. So if I go in there and tell them, oh, man, there's, you know, there's alcohol, but they party at my house. My mom's not supposed to be there. Like, my mom is, you know, she's not clean, man. My mom's not supposed to be in the house living. You know, my mom, she had nowhere to go. My grandma's not going to tell her. No, she got to live there. So when the social workers come, whoever came to my house, it was like, hey, have you seen your mom? Nah, I haven't seen her. Mm -hmm. My mom lives here, you know. But yeah. I'm lying, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. And if I tell them the truth, where do I go? Right. I'm going back to McLaren. Oh hell no! <laughs> Over there, right? Hell no, man. I'm not going back, man. I'm not going to tell my family. I'm not. I'm not a snitch, you know. I'm like, like that's that's the way I thought. So when I went to the streets, when I went to the institution, when I went to incarceration, like that belief system, it, it fit perfect. Mm. I I fit right in, man. I, it, it was. I didn't have those kind of problems, you know. I. I I did good when I was incarcerated, you know, outside of, you know, when I started doing right, like I had to, I had to walk away from a lot of things that were my safety net. And I was just about to ask, so how was that coming home and now, okay, you're clean, you have a different mindset behind the wall anyway, but when <clears throat> yeah. you come out, were you able to keep that focus or did you have to kind of like make some adjustments here and there because those old things started coming back there's there's definitely adjustments all the time you know it's, what i thought life was going to be like out here it it, it, it doesn't match mm. it didn't um i wanted my family to all like be together like it was at one time you know i wanted i wanted everybody like on christmas go to my grandma's i wanted everybody to be like be cool but it's not it's not like that out here Everybody got old on me, you know, everybody got older. They have their own families. Um, you know, when they, you know, my sister, like she has her kids, they have kids, like they do Christmas together. You know, my brother does his, like everybody's on their own. And I'm like, 
like, where's everybody at? Like, why doesn't everybody come around? Why don't we, like, I used to go hang out with them with their, at their house. It's, it's just not like that, you know? I probably go visit more people than they visit me. You know, and I they've, don't, they've moved on. and They've moved on. <laughs> and like whatever, my, however they're dealing with their trauma is yeah. how they're dealing with it, you know? And 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 trauma again, it's it it keep it shows up, you know. It's like, like I still get frustrated, I still get angry, I still get hurt. Like, what I do with it today is a lot different than what I did with it in the past. Like, I'm not fixed, I'm not perfect, but I'm not where I was. And as long as I keep moving forward, then I know I'm doing good. I'm on the right path, at least. I could recognize the signs. And that's a good thing. You know, I got married since I came home. I'm a homeowner now. You know, I went back to work in the prison. I worked at the crisis unit in mental health, downtown San Bernardino. Um, I go, man, I go out there in March, you know, police kill somebody in the communities out here. You know, I suit up, put on my boots. I go out there and I march. You know, I go out there and march, march with my peoples, you know. I go out there and let it, I just support the families. You know, I go out there and tell them, like, you know, whatever you need, man. You need to cook, you need to clean your yard, whatever you need. We're here. Because I know I know how hard it is. Um, I've been speaking in schools, uh, talked to kids. I've talking and spoken in colleges. I've, I've talked to students in um, colleges for some of the administrative people in the prison mm. for helping me in there. They're now one, one lady that helped me a lot in there. She's a professor now at a university. And she teaches criminology. So, you know, I was able to go and talk to her class. And so, yeah, I think those things, what I was doing in prison, I'm doing out here. I just get to do more. And I and there's less shackles on my feet. You and know? you're getting paid, I hope. Yeah, I get paid. I get, paid <laughs> good, you know? I get to live out here, you know. I, I, mm -hmm. I live in a nice area. You know, the police don't, you know, I don't got to worry. I don't worry about the police putting me on the hood and like out here. It's just not like that out here where I live. They police different. And that's that's another awakening. I'm like, they, they do not police like they this. Like stay, stay out that way. <laughs> yeah. Because if I'm in LA, like, I have to teach people that are with me that don't know. My yeah. wife does not know that lifestyle. You know, when I first got out and I was on parole, and, and even now, I tell them, look, if I get pulled over, do not get scared because they're going to run my name. I'm going to, all kind of stuff's going to pop up in their computer. They're going to put me in cuffs more than likely and put me in the back of the car until they check. They're probably going to search my car, search me, make sure I'm clean and nobody, I'm not wanted by no kind of institution. No warrants or anything. No mm -hmm. warrants or nothing. And once they figure all that out and the way I know how to communicate, they're going to let me go. You know, unless they just totally go, go rogue and, and pin me up on something. But if they're going to do that, it don't matter where I'm at. They're going to do it. They're going to do it because they want to do it. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, do not be scared. You know, if they put me out at gunpoint, like you have to, you, I'm preparing people to deal with that because when they, when they pull over, you know, and I know what to do. I'm not going to get killed out here on the street. You know, I survived some of the worst conditions a human can live in to come home, you know, some trigger happy cop. You know, to once he sees my name or something and he's drawing down, I make the wrong move and I'm done, I'm gone, you know. That's how easy it is. Yeah. Um, and I have to teach, you know, my daughter grew up by that, but you know, I still have to tell her, I still tell her, you know, you you get put over, you have to, you know, you're gonna have to act a lot different. I get put over out here where I live, 
it ain't like that. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do it like that. You know, do, I mean, I'm not saying that out here they're right and out there they're wrong. Police, police community is different. Yeah. When I get pulled over in LA, I'm going to get put either in back of a cop car or I'm going to be put on a curb. Yeah. On a curb. You know, and there's going to be like 10 cop cars going to show up, a helicopter, you know, until they get waved off. Out here, a cop car premier might be one cop, might be two. That's, you know, they'll run my but name. But the fact that why are you even getting pulled over, period, though? Right. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> the point. Like out here, they don't put, they're not driving around like looking to pull people over. Or, you, you know, before I walked down the street, the car, I would be clean. I had no, no drugs on me, no weapons. I am not wanted or nothing. I walk down the street. As soon as the cops are in the corner, I'm running. And they used to tell me, why are you running? You know, when they catch me or, or somebody I'm with, why are you running? You don't got nothing. I was like, because they always take, you know, they take me over to my enemies, man, or they're going to start slamming me on the floor. And I, I went to jail and pleaded guilty for crimes I didn't do. Wow. I got arrested one time for a bottle of PCP that they found in a yard. I, when the cops turned the corner, I walked. I started walking down the street. Everybody else took out running. I walked down the street. They didn't catch nobody else. They grabbed me, put me in a cop car, and then searched the area and said, I seen you throw this. And I was like, they fingerprinted. If I threw it, my, my prints are on it. They're all, I don't need a fingerprint. I seen you throw it. That's all I got to put in the report. And I was like, ah, whatever. I went to Alley County Jail. I get to court, and the public defender says they're offering you a deal. Take a possession. You'll walk. You'll do. Uh, I think twenty-seven days. You won't even do the whole time. You walk out of here. If not, we set trial. You could be here for about a year and a half. Wait, I'm like, for the trial. I'm in County Jail, right out of Youth Authority. I was like. Hell no, yeah. that's I'll take the deal. The wow. deal was sweeter than the consequences of me fighting it. That's how bad it was, and I and I walked. I I think I stayed, I don't know, 12 days, 13. But then you days. got more charges on your record. Yep. Another conviction. Yep. Of something I didn't even do. I, I would say that's one thing I didn't do. You know, that's one of the, you know, I mean, like I said, you know, what I went to prison for, it was the charges could have been different. Right? I they didn't have to charge me with attempted murder. And, and you know what the cold thing was, man, I, in the end? And I got to go full circle with this. I got the picture to prove it, too. So I went to children's court when it was in downtown. It was no children's court. It was in a criminal court building. Hmm. Right off 6th Street. And, uh, that's where I went to court when I was a kid. I hated that court. You know how much school I missed going to court? Then, years later, that's the court I, I got found guilty and sentenced at. Wow. As an adult. Same court building. One day I'm out, you know, I came home and I'm in downtown LA with my wife and we're driving down the street. We're going somewhere, totally didn't, wasn't out of my mind. I'm driving down the street and all of a sudden the court building's right there. And we're at a red light. And I'm like, give me my phone. Turn it off. <laughs> She's like, for what? And I was like, it just it like it went full circle. And I was like, this is the courthouse. I'm in front of the courthouse. Like these guys told me I would never get out. Mm. Told me you'll never get out. 
and the, this is the place I used to go when I was a kid to court, like, you know, for my mom, you know, for my sister and my brothers. Like, there was so much family feud fighting in children's court. It was like, they just made, like, we witnessed everything. Like, I'm, I don't have beef with these adults. Like, right. like I'm not mad at my mom. Why, why, like, everybody's talking bad about my mom. Now, why did your mom move to Chicago? When I got sentenced, she she lost it, man. My my brother went to prison, got fourteen years. A year later, I I went, I got arrested, and I got life. And then my middle brother went to prison. All three of her sons were in prison. Wow. And my mom was like, my mom told me came to visit, not um not like visit, but like to the phone. And she was like, I can't, I can't do it. Like, I, I gotta go. I gotta leave LA. I just, it's just too much. And um, my mom was like, I got opportunity to work out there and do some good stuff. So my mom left. She got into this field, you know, helping. And she got, you know, by then she was already clean from drugs. Um, well, my mom was already like, she hadn't had a career yet. My mom was just like finding jobs here and there. She was just struggling, no car, you know. My mom went to Chicago, now she's a homeowner. She's through her like second or third brand new car. You know, the material stuff. Mm -hmm. Working, helping people. They love my mom, man, because my mom been there. And, um, you know, my mom was able to show up for us. You know, my, me, my struggles, my brother's struggles, my sister, like, my mom was able to to show up for us, you know, later on in life. But my mom came through, you know. I love I love my mom, man. I always love my mom. I never, you know, I never blamed her for nothing. I just understand, you know. It's hard. It was it's, it was hard, man. It's hard being a mother, four kids, you know, an abusive relationship, drugs, you know, paying for the drugs, whatever she had to do, you know, in her belief system, she was doing. And it wasn't always the right thing. And it's easy to judge now, but you know, I don't, I don't um, validate it or support, you know, selling drugs or anything like doing crime, but is, you know, you, I believe there's a better way, but you know, it is what it is, man. And I tell my daughter, like, I apologize. I, I could have been a better dad. I wasn't, you know, I could have not went to prison, but I did, but that doesn't mean I'd love you any less. You know, I love, I loved you more. You know, I love you the most in my life. Now, do you see her? having issues in her relationships because you weren't there or just the the history uh-oh yes. I think that's <laughs> you won't be the cat words <laughs> my daughter is um she's 26 now she has you know she has her challenges she has her struggles i'm I, you know I, i've met her little she, this, she's on her second little boyfriend right now since i her came little up. boyfriend <laughs> She got a little boyfriend, right? Me and her little kids. She got a little boyfriend. I haven't met him in person, but I've talked to him on the phone. And, you know, I try to stay in my role as dad. I'm, I'm dad. Like, I'm not her counselor. I'm not her therapist. I'm not, you know, I'm just her dad. But, you know, the counselor in me, the life experience in me, it, like, I want to tell her, like, don't, don't do that. You have to like do this, you know. I'm I'm trying to like guide her because I don't want her to have to go through, you know, same thing as me. I I want to give her 
the insight I gained, but it don't work that way. Now, now with not with a not with a daughter and a dad. Not for my me and my daughter. My daughter's like she's totally like I'm independent. I've been independent. You were gone. Like I had to do this, Dad, and you mm. understand. Like I have to make these decisions, and I have to learn from my own mistakes. And like she's right, but I think she blocks out a lot of the wisdom I'm trying to yeah. pass. You know, yeah. she blocks it out intentionally. She hasn't forgiven you completely. It doesn't sound it's, like it's it, yeah. It's probably that, and and you know she 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 thinks that she has to um figure life out on her own. You know she does, man. I I get that part, but like, but if you can learn from somebody else's mistakes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a way less drama because I was telling some um somebody, I think I was responding to somebody's um TikTok or something. It was an older lady saying that now all of her friends are in these positions where they're dating these men who, you know, need all this help. And, you know, we're, I guess, in the culture now to where the women have more to offer. You know, the women have their own home. They have their car. They're working. You know, they're not looking for a man to take care of them. But now these men are looking to be taken care of. And <laughs> so you really have to be mindful of that. Because when we were growing up, uh, you had a guy come pick you up at your house. You didn't let him honk the horn and you come out and all of this. Now you can't do that. You have to meet them somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You can let them know what you have because they're looking. They're, oh. You know, oh, she's got this. Oh, she's and they'll try to move in on you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's completely different. And there was all the social media and all that kind of stuff going on, too. But, you know, she's being independent. She's going to have to be careful because someone's going to look at her as being an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And yeah. she's a, she's a really good girl. You know, she uh, she graduated high school. She graduated. She went and got her AA. She, she, you know, she did good. She didn't get into drugs. She didn't get into gangs. Um, she ended up going through CPS too when she was six. Mm. You know, she, um, you know, her mom started getting into drugs and, you know, they removed her. They removed her from home. So she went through that trauma too. So she, she's quick to let me know that, you know, dad, I, I dad, I went through it too. <laughs> I was six. Like you weren't there. My mom wasn't there. Like I, like I went through. What do you think I went through? You know what? What was what was going on with me? And and like I'm like, even though she's talking to me that way, I still rather her talk about it. You know, and I'm like, it sucks to have to to hear it served that way. Cause I, I, I mean, like, why can't we just sit down and talk? Like I, like I, like I tell her, look. I'm not telling you like I'm gonna give you the information and it's gonna solve your problems in life. Like it don't work that way. But like go get therapy. Like go, I want you to talk to the therapist about what you're telling me. And they're not gonna hit you with a wand or give you a magic pill and it's gonna go away. You're just getting it out of your head and out of your heart. Like you because you're processing it. You're you're talking. Eventually you tell that story enough time and you walk in that room. You can tell it and it's going to, you know. It won't you, affect you the same way. Yeah, You don't want it to be like every time it comes up, it makes you feel some mm -hmm. way or makes all these thoughts come up. Because it, it, that's you're just not dealing with it. 
you're blocking it out. So, no, dad, that's not the way it is. And I'm like, yes, it is, man. That's like, you know, sometimes I have to be careful because her coping mechanism is shut me out. So, and usually you can her. tell, like, when you're seeing parents and their children have conversations or they're around each other, you can tell when there's some kind of guilt from the parent side because they allow the child to just say whatever they say, however they're going to say it, versus if the, the dynamics were different, the child wouldn't even be coming at you like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I don't talk to my parents the same way I talk to, you know, my friends or coworkers or whatever. We have a different level of respect. I, my parents are my friends. You yeah. know, I'm the child. And even though I'm a grown, grown, grown woman, I still, you know, have a certain level of respect and the way I speak to my parents, but I don't have that same dynamic. And I see that that's a pattern in parent-child relationships where something went wrong early on and the parent is so guilty that they're like, well, I don't want to say, you know, this because I did wrong. And it's like, you haven't forgiven yourself completely either. And like, okay, I'll tell her, but mm, let me just be quiet. <laughs> let her, you know, get off whatever she's going to get off. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, that that's another one of the consequences of my past decision-making is me being away. It affected our relationship where when I thought it was going to look like when I came home, it does not look like that. You know, I, I could call her. She won't even answer my phone. I text her. I'll be lucky if I get a text maybe a week later. Wow. So I'm like, and then when I call her on it, it's like, you're all over me, dad. Like, you're, mm. you're all over me. Or you're, what are you watching me? Or like, like I work. I got a life. Like, I'm trying to, and I'm like, everybody out here works. We all got a life. Like, when I start calling her, it's like, Psh. it just But I think it's a, that's a daddy-daughter thing, too. Because my dad, I had to <clears> tell him. And our relationship is is cool, but I mean, you know, there's it wasn't perfect me growing up. And it seems like now he's just like want to talk to me all the time and you know, wanted to <laughs> and, but we didn't grow, I didn't grow up like that. You yeah. know what I mean? He was kind of like angry when I was younger. So I had to kind of like mm, I kind of learned to keep my distance a little bit because you didn't know if he was gonna be in a mood or whatever. So now that I'm older, I don't live in your house anymore. You know, it's been many years since I lived with my parents. And if I don't call him back, like in a day, he's calling the house phone. He's calling my cell phone. He's texting. I was like, <laughs> stop doing that. Because I think something's wrong when you do that. I think yeah. like somebody died or <laughs> like yeah. somebody's hurt or whatever. It's like, give me a chance. Now, it's not going to be a week. But give me a chance to respond before you just like blowing me up. Yeah. But because we didn't have some, I know some people who talk to their parent every day and that's just what they do. That's what they've always done. And I didn't grow up like that. So yeah. when it's just like, uh, like, wait, what? <laughs> <What's going on? laughs> yeah. I, you know, I just, I missed her so much when I was gone. You know, when I, when I did call out there, because the calls were like they're not every day. I can't just call when I want. That when I did call and I got to talk to her, it was like 15 minutes only, and it hangs up. 
And I was like, man, I can't wait till I can just talk to my daughter and just hang out with her. And uh, like, I, I got a three bedroom house, a nice home in a nice area. I was like, I tell my daughter, come and stay with me for a little bit. Like, I didn't get to live with you very long. Like, I want to live, like, I want to have a relationship. I want to get to know you, like, on a deeper level. I said, oh, dad, you're overbearing, man. You want to know everything I'm doing, where am I at, who am I around? And I'm like, um, I'll give you your space, you know. Um, but I thought you would want the same or mm. it's something close to it, you know. I thought because I was gone, you'd be like, man, I want to hang out with my dad. Like, I want to like, I want to be with my dad, like, see him work, and I want to see him, like, I want to hear him talk, and, you know, it's not, it's not. But do you think she's involved in something she just doesn't want you to know about, and thinks she's going to be judged by you, or certain people that she might be entertaining, that you'd be like, okay, no, this, this looks, I know where this is going, and she doesn't want to hear it. I think she's just, she got to the point of I think from all her struggles and what she had to deal with, I think she got to the point where she protects herself by mm. least amount of information people know about me, then they can't hurt me. Mm. Okay. If you don't know what's going on, then you can't hurt me. You know, if I could keep you at a distance, you can't hurt me no more. And that's that don't that don't work. You right. know, term, that don't work. Those are like immediate solutions you know our coping mechanisms right to you know problems like that but long term but i, I it, that knowledge can't come from me that that like uh, yeah i say it believe me i say it i wrote it i i you know i do my best of communicating that to her but you know it all up to the person receiving it yeah. because when i was growing up I think about all the people that were trying to get me away from the direction I was moving in. I didn't hear it. I wasn't trying to hear it. I didn't listen to it. And um, it took somebody, a total stranger, to serve it up to me in a whole different way where I was like, for some reason, this resonates. This approach, this person, just it just resonates with me. Like I could hear this person like giving me some advice, and, you know, showing me some um, real concern, some genuine, authentic, caring concern for my betterment in life. And um, I just hope that I just always hope that she gets that person or if she does have that person. Maybe it's coming in increments, you know, maybe, you know, maybe she's 26. You know, I didn't start doing good till I was in my, you know, 31, 32. You know, and she's not doing bad. She's not doing bad, but you know, I think emotionally like de dealing with dealing with the hurt, dealing with the pain, dealing with you know not being there and all her struggles is like that part is getting put on a back burner. And I tell her like, hey, like usually people carry that into their relationships, right? You do. I was gonna <laughs> ask you about because even you know because I'm single, never been married, and I'm noticing now the dynamic with the mommy issues and the daddy issues when it comes to dating. So I don't date guys with mommy issues and daddy issues because <laughs> usually if it's the mom, um, and you don't know that, you know, just from meeting the person, you won't know until you spend enough time around them and see their family and how they interact with the family. That's why I tell people, 
meet their family as soon as possible. You know, <laughs> because back in then, it was like, oh, well, we don't want to meet the mom too soon because then that seems like it's getting too serious. No, you want to meet the, the family so you can see how they interact, like what's going on over there. Because usually when the, the guy has issues with the mom, he doesn't trust women. Mm. You know, if the mom, the, your mom is your first, the first woman in your life. And mm. if she either manipulated you emotionally or let you down or treated you like you were more her man than her son and relied on you for everything, you're going to have issues in your relationships because either the mom's going to be jealous She's going to try to put a wedge between her son and whoever he's with, because that's her man, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Her son. Or if <clears throat> she had a habit of manipulating, I had one guy that I dated, his mom always would uh, give him things and then take them away when he didn't do what she wanted him to do. Wow. So he had no trust. So he was very insecure, very jealous. Um, and if you didn't do something he wanted you to do, he would just equate that with, oh, you don't really want to be with me. And he would just be out. Mm. And you just wouldn't hear from him anymore. And you're like, <laughs> what? what happened? Yeah. But I didn't connect those dots until I found out more about his childhood. Yeah, his and history. He, right, his history. And most people aren't forthcoming with that. You have to kind of like pull it out. But you don't even know what to ask until yeah. you've been in those situations. Like, yeah. you know what? How was your childhood? Did you grow up with your mom and dad? You know, if they're talking about one guy met, um, what was he saying? Oh, the dad, his biological dad and his mom had an affair. And his dad had been married or was married when he was conceived. So he had, you know, his family and all that. He never really acknowledged him, but mm -hmm. he acknowledged, of course, his other kids. And he's like, you know, in one breath, he would say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't bother me. But then in the next breath, he would say, well, I would always wonder why he didn't acknowledge me. And I'm the one that's doing good. And I'm the one that has this and his other kids aren't blah, blah, blah. But you just said you didn't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so like you keep your score. Huh? Right. So like you care to me. And he, he always needed a lot of attention. That's what, you know, something else that I've noticed is that when they don't get what they need at home as kids, they're constantly seeking validation in the wrong places, constantly wanting attention, and it doesn't matter where they get it from. So they're not faithful because mm -hmm. it's like, you're not enough. If you're not available every time I need you to be, then I'm, I'm over here. Mm -hmm. Okay, she's, she's busy. Okay, I'm calling this one. And then with social media, you got all kind of <laughs> you know, yeah. access you know, <laughs> <laughs> to all these different yeah. people and you know your mind is constantly because you didn't get what you needed as as a child and they'll try to they don't acknowledge it a lot of times they they, or they can't even see those dots connecting it's just like okay why is that you always have to have a whole bunch of female friends mm. you got like 500 facebook friends and you really only know like five of these women <laughs> in real life yeah you the know, back doors open, huh? <laughs> or that you know, they're they never really break up with anybody. It's like, okay, you might stop dating, but you're constantly still checking in with that person, keeping the door open, mm -hmm. you know, just that that constant need of attention, attention, attention. So, yeah, so that I start asking questions real early, 
<laughs> yeah. Man, you sound like a therapist. <laughs> sound like we're in group right now. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, but you know, and hopefully your daughter is able to see those things. And, you know, even if she's not sharing them with you, but hopefully, you know, does she have kids yet? No, no kids. Okay, that's good. Because, woo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I mean, if you, you going, make, if you're making mistakes and you don't have kids, that's different. Yeah, she was going to a therapist for a little bit. And then uh, she said they just kind of like got to, they kind of like uh, ran its course. She said she's like, it just turned into like we were just talking about the same thing every time. And I was like, you, that's that's the way you it works. Get another one. You get know. another one. Yes. You you you're climbing a ladder. Don't don't like each step is not gonna get you to the top, you know? Each one is is, is you're climbing, man. You get what you get out of this one, you get you move to the next one. Like there, there's just gonna be many different helpers in your life, man. All, all, everything that came to me didn't come from one person. You know, so you gotta you you just gotta be able to recognize all these signs. Like th 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 those are just signs. Like, hey, this that's a good. If you're around this court, that's a good thing. You learn what you need to learn. Keep pushing, man. Don't get stuck in the line. You know. And, and especially uh, if she's feeling like she's still, or does she even acknowledge like when she's shutting down or closing herself off because she doesn't want to be hurt? Yeah, she she's. You know, she don't always want to talk about it. She's like, Dad, you know, like I don't always want to be talking about that. Like, I, like it happened. I can't change it. I don't want to go backwards. Like, it triggers me. I get triggered, and then it, I just shut down, and I don't want to be around nobody, and I, I go to an ugly place, man, and I don't want to do that. Mm. So, like, I don't want our relationship to be the thing that's pushing me there all the time, like, like just chill dude like like dad just really like i'm doing good i'm i'm good like i'll call you like this is all bad and i'm like and i try that and it's like one week two weeks mm. i get this big old gap and i'm like oh hell no i'm not going out like that like Plus, i mean it's right now people are dying like every day from yeah. whether it's COVID or people just <clears throat> crazy, you know, I don't know if you've noticed how people, how just crazy people are acting right now. Um, and it seemed like to just escalate um, mm -hmm. once COVID hit. It was just like, what is going on? And you don't know when is going to be your last day. You and know? she's not, you know, she lives out of state. So mm, okay. Not like I could just get in a car, go swoop by, and pick her up. You know, it's like I'm come down, man. I'll buy you a ticket, or you know, you need help buying a plane ticket. Like I'll pick you up, and you know, she does. She does. She comes down. She comes spend a week with me, or you know, a few days, and goes home. She's like, everything is work. Oh, I work, Dad. You know, I gotta work. I can't just get days off and stuff. I'm like, I get days off. I work. You know. <laughs> Like we all get days off. Yeah, but. I mean, you just got to make it happen. and make, I mean, sometimes, <clears throat> you know, to her point, like if my dad calls, because he works for himself. He makes his own schedule. Uh -oh. So if I'm working or I'm doing whatever, and he's calling me like in the middle of the day, I'm like, <laughs> like I'm yeah. at work. Like I can't. Don't work. <laughs> it's yeah. like, uh, I'm at work. Uh, you know, I'll call you back. And sometimes you forget and you're just like, but I have to really make myself think about okay because what really gives me anxiety because i'm an only child mm. is my parents not being here yeah. because it's just us you know so 
I had to be like, okay, let me call. Let me check. <laughs> let me see how he's doing. Let me call him back because I don't know how long I'm going to have my parents. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, I guess we all deal with life, you know, and and then we, we hopefully we change, you know. I, 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 I live from a whole different belief system, my behavior, my how I approach life, like my thoughts, my thoughts change so much. Like I'm not that little, like the kid in McLaren Hall, like teenage years, you know, my young twenties, my thirties, it's like, like it's just different. You know, sometimes I, like I remind myself, like this is how she deals with it or, you know, different people. I mean, I work with people every day in group, you know, I teach groups. So, I could see the difference in like different age groups, different ethnicities, different, you know, geographical areas, different, like there's, there's a lot of differences out there, you know, like we have a lot in common, like like we always say, but there's a lot of differences. Like people deal with things in different ways. You know, some people deal with, you know, I did, I did drugs for many years. I did different drugs, experimented. And I, like, I always used to say like when I, they, I was in a drug program in prison, and I was like, I had got to a certain point. I said, it wasn't really the drugs that were the issue. It was the issue that led to the drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I started working on those issues, the drugs weren't as powerful for me no more, you know? Like, I don't, like, I don't have the desire for that no more. That the desire is not there. And people are like, well, the triggers will always be there. You know, like even the school, they teach you that. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe if certain things happen, I don't know. I don't know the future, but I know like I could tell you about right now and it's different. You know, um, I never really dealt with myself until I got in my thirties, you know, in my forties, like I never dealt with me. When I started to deal with me, I was still that eight year old boy. Like I had to go back and deal with eight year old Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Nine-year-old, ten-year-old, thirteen-year-old as a gang member, because everything changed from that point forward. Like I had to deal with those, that guy that didn't develop and move those healthy development. Like I had to go back and figure that stuff out, you know. And that's not like an overnight thing. That it's it's hard. It's it's hard to deal with that. It's hard to look at that. But today, you call me to a podcast. You call me to go to a school and speak. Like. I could grab all that stuff out. I mm-hmm. could talk, you know, I could talk about it to whoever, to a stranger. I could talk about it. And I do talk about it every day. So it's like, I've normalized the work I've done myself. Where I could talk about it where I'm not, you know, there's certain days, certain, certain people, certain times where I start talking and I can feel the emotions. Mm. That hurts. Like that, that don't feel good. You know, what I mean by hurt is like, there, there's a, there's a loneliness, like, there's certain things my brother like I hear it I talk about it and there, there's like there's a there's a hole man there's 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 missing you know I, like that hurts me certain things with my daughters like that you know when I get that resistance when it you know it's real it's not it's not like it's it's easier to like talk about it you know I could say this is how it works but it's like in my head you know it's not like a b c d mm-hmm. it's 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 all over the place you know it's emotions and thoughts and you know it's it, it's all this stuff just mixed up and it's like I have to like put those things in perspective because it it throws me off like it, it'll throw me off for a little bit 
you know, I'm driving and I'm like, like my mind is, is focused on that. You know, sometimes it's, it's five minutes. Sometimes it's an hour. Sometimes it's a couple of days, you know, mm. it's, and I'm, and I'm trying to like make sense out of things and I'm trying to use things that people taught me. Like, like I have to, what I have to tell myself, like, Hey, She's young. She dealt with a lot. Like I have to give her time. I have to give her space. I have to stay in dad role. Like I have to take advice from others. I have to like I have to be humble. I have to be patient. And like that starts getting me back to where I need to be, you know, or back in my lane. But um, you know, those those is challenging. You know, those are the challenges, you know. I'm not challenged by like man, you know, I'm on the street. I'm hoping the dope man gets here. I'm hoping, like, <laughs> hoping I don't get busted tonight. Mm-hmm. Like, I hope I don't have to hurt nobody. I hope I don't get killed today. I hope I don't get, you know, beat up by the police. Like, like that kind of stress is not the stress I have today. You know, my stresses are not, they're nowhere close to that. You know, I'm not in prison cell wondering, you know, damn, am I going to die right here? Am I going to go home? Um, you know, is somebody going to, like, trip on me out, you know, tomorrow? If I go out there, is somebody going to, like, try to make me do something? Like, I don't know that, man. That The high possibility is there, though. And uh, that's stressful, you know? Uh, I remember, like, count time. The, the If you're not stand, So they announce it on the speaker. Count time, standing count. You got to stand up, turn on your light until the officer looks inside your cell and he sees you. That you're alive, right? And finally, I got to a point. I was like, "They're doing inventory, bro. That's not a count. They, they, they need to know the livestock is alive, right? And making money." <laughs> but I can't always hear it. I can't. You, some days I can hear it. Some days I can't. Most of the time, I don't hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some days it's at five. Some days it's at five and five. Some days it's at five fifteen. Some days it's at four forty. So I can't like catch the pattern of every day where I'm like, I'm just going to have the light on and be standing here because I don't know how long I'm going to be standing there. So some days I have the earbuds in some, you know, or the ear, my earphones. Some days I'm, I'm painting, I'm, 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 I'm escaping where I'm at or have, I'm studying. I was me, I'll be reading. And if you're not standing with that light on that baton, they bang it on the metal door hard. Boom, boom, boom. Standing count. Man, I used to start them. I would jump out of my skin, you know. And 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 that doesn't. Everything it does to my mind and my body does not go away. Mm-hmm. Like, the minute later or five minutes later, like that turns on some ugly stuff real fast, you know. And when they would do it, and I was like, there was times where I, I gained some courage and try to be assertive and like, hey man, can like. Like, that's unnecessary. You know, you don't have to bang on my door, man. Like, don't, can you please don't do that. And I, I never met anybody respond, you know, in any healthy, not one time, any request that I ever get a positive response back. It was like, you should have been standing. Mm. Announced it. And it's your fault. Your fault. And it's like, I had to finally get to the point where I'm like, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm just going to deal with it. You know, and, I, and then I would like, don't, like, if I engage with somebody, if I'm writing a letter, I'm putting that letter away because it'll come out of my letter. Mm. If I'm talking to my Sally, like, it's going to come out. Like, everything that I don't like that he does, 
you know, it's gonna start crossing my mind. I'm like, man, I'm tired of this dude, you know? He, he, like he, everything he does wrong that bothers me, it just all at the forefront of my mind. And um, I hated that, I hated that so much, you know? And that, that was just one thing, but the noise, the noise was so ugly in there. It's like, boom, boom, the door's closing and the gates. And he used to trigger me so much, man. And I was like, today, I don't hear those noises. You know, the alarm, the alarm would go out. Doo, 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 doo. For my first probably 10 years, that alarm, it was on. You know, when that alarm went off, it's out. The cops are on the speaker, on a, on a PA system. They're like, get out, get out, get out, get out. There's smoke grenades going off and you know, they're shooting the gun, the Mini-14, and there's people getting shot. There's, you can hear this yelling, people getting stabbed and riots. And, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the floor or, you know, I'm laying on the floor for three hours and, until they come and scoop the body up. And it's like, you know, they're cuffing everybody up, dragging us, you know, in the rain. It's raining and we're out there for four hours, five hours I've been out there, you know. Central California, it's 100 and eight outside and there's no grass and we're out there on the, on the floor in the concrete and I'm like, hey man, it's hot, you know? You can't move, you can't talk. So then you get to the lower levels that, you know, the alarms are there, but the seriousness is not as serious. So like that stress, mm -hmm. and then today it's like that stress is not there. Like, you hear I don't, birds chirping outside. I hear <laughs> The little kids next door is like they're screaming and running up and down. I'm like, shut up already. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird, but the, yeah, it's, it's but the the recording in my brain didn't go away. You know, my memory can't erase it. So there's certain little things where it's like it reminds me of that. Mm. You know, the loud bang, boom. It's, it's, like I have to say. Oh, that has nothing to do with me. That's, that's not me. <laughs> that's just a car going by or something. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not, I'm not like um, hyper vigilant, all turned up and like tripping like that. But yeah, that place, it, it affects you like that, you know? And, and then I think, did this come from prison or was it a combination of things, you know? And I start thinking back, you know, it's like all the way from home. Yeah, you know, I was about to say, you have fighting in the house and yelling and banging and throwing food and, you know, it's just, you know, the police coming and then, you know, all, it's just unsafe, man. And then the street, then you, and then it, you know, it's crazy because all that goes on, you would think you don't want to be from a gang. You don't want to be around the violence. You don't want to do drugs because it was always present. It's a quite opposite almost like in a domestic violence relationship and I wonder why the woman doesn't leave the man. It's probably a lot similar. Why doesn't this, why does this guy go and join a gang and go to prison and shoot people and he don't like it? He's saying he don't like it, but he does it. It makes no sense. That's why um, you know. It makes a lot think. of sense. Mm -hmm. We've normalized it. When everything's going right, I, you're uncomfortable. I, I told my wife, so many times I'm driving down the street and I'm like, like something bad is gonna happen. I feel it. She's like, stop saying that. Don't do that. Like, don't do that. Don't wish that. You know? And I'm like, I'm not wishing. I don't want it to happen. But I just feel like too much good is happening right now. Like this, 
this can't be true. Like this, something's gonna be taken. Mm. I feel, I could feel it, man. I feel it in my bones, man. I know, like something bad's gonna happen. Which I'm gonna get a bad call. I'm gonna lose my job. I'm like I'm, I'm gonna get hurt or something. Something bad's coming. Because every time something good, it came with a bunch of bad. Mm. And when you and whenever this bad bad's happening, I remember saying, "Well, something good got to come out of it." You know, it's like, yeah, man. And so you're always looking for the good and the bad. And it's like that kind of, those patterns of thoughts, you know, and the beliefs, it's just, it's like, it's just there. It just doesn't, like, it doesn't erase. I wish I could erase it, but it don't work that way. Um, but yeah, those are some of the challenges. Those are some of the things today. Yeah, you got to manifest, try to manifest the <laughs> what you really want. And not what you don't want, because what we don't want will happen if we keep thinking it, speaking it, especially when you speak things. So it's not wishing it, but when you put that out into the air, to the universe, yeah, it's, it's going to come if you keep saying it's going to come. Definitely, yeah. yeah but how, people, how can people get in touch with you to if they want you to, to come and speak at a school mm -hmm. or mentor? Um, a, a program or a group, whether it be kids or adults, how do people get in touch with you? I could uh, leave my email. That's probably the best way. It's uh, my last name, first name. So my last name is uh, B-A-O. And then my first name is uh, G-I-L-B-E-R-T uh, 73, my birthday, at gmail.com. I'm definitely, I'm always willing to go into the schools. Anything for kids, you know, I'll take a day off from work. Um, I love going in. I love working with kids. Uh, prevention work, you know, too much money is spent on punishment, you know, not enough in rehabilitation and almost criminal in prevention, you know, the way society deals with. So I, I, I like operating in that space. Uh, so if you email me, let me know what you want to do. And um, whether it's with kids or whatever, you know, if you need help or just want to talk to talk to somebody about, you know, something that you may be going through or maybe somebody, you know, is incarcerated or, you know, you don't your loved ones in there. You don't you're not too sure because there's how do you look that up? You know, how do you know that unless somebody that's been there can, you know, walk you through it? And that's. That's what we do. We look out for each other, you know. There's like I go get. I'm doing a tattoo removal right now. I'm getting all the gang stuff on. Mm. You know, and we we get it done for free. You know, through Homeways Industries in, in LA, and uh, you know that's a major resource down there. But that, like, I'm plugged in with them with um, Arc Anti Recidivism Coalition, and a lot of those guys they're formerly incarcerated. Somebody gave them a chance, and they're creating chances for many people behind them. So they asked me, oh, you guys are lucky you just get that. And I'm like, we had to create that. You know why we, you go down there, we get a job. Like they'll hook you up and they'll get you a job. You want to work? You call them, they'll get you a job. That's what we, I'm like, but in the 80s and the 90s, early, probably early 2000s, like the, the, nobody would hire us. Yeah. You had a and tattoo, you were a gang member, you were Mexican, you were black. Like you're not, you're going to work in the service sector if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get treated like, you're lucky you got a job. Um, so these 
kind of programs were created for us because we coming home from incarceration, you're, you're going to feel discrimination. You know, going to get a job, you're going to feel discrimination. Walking in a DMV, you get treated different. You know, you go sign up for school and you're, you don't know where to go and you're having to ask questions and people look at you like you're crazy. You now, know, did, did the applications, because I remember at one time, um, <clears throat> the the box was supposed to be removed. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? So that box is gone, but mm -hmm. the concept of the box is still there mm -hmm. because they can't ask you if you have a felony, but most jobs say, go do a fingerprint background check. You might as well just put the box back on there then, <laughs> right? And uh, there's a lot of explaining. I've had to do so much explaining because my life doesn't make sense. Mm. I go to a job interview and they start asking me like my job history and I got the big gap. Now I talk about all the jobs I had in prison, but even those, when they ask me, well, what, you know, what about this, you know, there's certain questions and I can tell the body language, especially, you know, formerly incarcerated, we pick, you, if you don't pick up on body language and learn that skill very well, you, you're going to be a victim. So sitting in there is like, I could pick up. I could see when the body language, the tone, the inflections start changing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this interview is going to be bad. And, you know, I try my best to not have to tell everybody my story just to get a job or just to get a bank account or go, you know, uh, buy a car or something. It's like, I have to go explain myself to get these things. Because if I don't, and I sit there and they start looking at me, they're like, you don't have a, do you have a check stub? And I'm like, well, I was incarcerated. And while I was incarcerated, this is what I did. I have to like overcompensate yeah. some negative by all the positive things I did. And for the most part, it actually has worked in my favor. So yeah, I shouldn't have to explain myself but I find myself 90% of the time having to. Even with your um, counseling work that you do now, do you still have to do that? Yeah, so for the prison, mm -hmm. that one, I still had to go in there and explain, a lot of explaining why I wanted the job, but I got that job because of my background. And um, so that was a good thing, but all the jobs before it that I had, I had two, two other jobs before this one since I came home and... Uh, you know, once they found out, they were like, you're the perfect fit here, you know, and I do very well in all the, in, in all my jobs I got. But I had to gain trust. I had to earn trust. You know, I had to, like, explain a lot. I, I, I went at the crisis unit. I got the job. They loved the interview. They were like, Damn, they love this interview. Go do a background check. I had to go fingerprint. I said, all right. So I went and fingerprint. I went in and looked it up. It says they're not supposed to, from seven years to 10 years, go anything past. My crimes were like 24 years ago. And they all popped up. I got an email saying, we're sorry. We have to pull back the offer. Um, you didn't clear the screen. Mm. I said, all right. Well, you guys lost a very good employee because your talent, you, you, you're, you're denying me for something that is actually my gift. Mm. And they were like, we're sorry. And um, that job, I think it was like maybe two, two weeks around there. I get a call saying somebody higher up found out 
and overrode it. And if you still want the job, the offer is back on the table. I get the job. I'm working with psych, psych techs, nurses, all these people, social workers. And after a couple months, I'm the go-to guy now. Mm-hmm. We had a kid outside, like, they're not listening. They don't want to be here. They're resisting. They're throwing stuff. Like, we don't know what to do. But the, he has to he has to get evaluated in the school center. Let me go talk to him. I go out there, and I don't take the clipboard. I don't take the assessment. I go out there, like, what's up, man? High five. You know, what's going on, man? What, who's your team? I'm like, you better not tell me. You don't have to <laughs> You're just talking. <laughs> Yeah, I just go out there and I, and I start talking about everything besides what they were asking. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, you, you better like the Lakers, man. Don't, <laughs> don't even tell me you don't like the Lakers. And, that, you know, I get them laughing and, you know, I'm doing little things with them. And uh, before you know it, I can see the guard comes down. And I'm like, hey, why don't you come over here with me, man? I'm going to hang out with you today. Okay. We go over here. You hungry? I'll go get you the pizza. I'll be right back. Let me go get the pizza. Don't even trip. I got you. I'll go get the pizza. I'm sitting down. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna, we're gonna fill out some paperwork right now. I need you to, you know, I need you to answer a couple of questions. You do that for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm once I get them, you know, a little bit open, I will call whoever you know needs to go do that. And I'm like, look, go in there, and um, if you see any resistance, let me. I'll ask the question. I'll. Let me let me jump in. I'll, I'll jump in when I need to. But don't confront. Don't <laughs> question nothing they do. If you see me get in and do something and, and it's not in the perimeters of what we do here, like if you can't handle that, then don't call me in there. But I'm going to do stuff that's not in the book and I'm not supposed to do sometimes. Just leave me alone. I'm not going to do nothing illegal. And I go out there and on, I do my thing. And, they, and then they walk out and they're like, we're good. You're you're coming in here, you know, and, and, um, you know, so much goes on in a crisis unit. There's so much that goes on, but I've eventually got to the point where now I'm training all, all my supervisors. I'm training them. Hey, Gilbert, can you train this person? I'm like, that's my supervisor. Like like this shouldn't be happening. Like this is going to cause other issues down the line for the supervisor. I could recognize my role, but as long as they can, and they're like, nah, don't worry about it. You know, so I'm training people that are like supposed to, you know, they got a master's degree, they got a PhD. I'm like, like, and I don't mind doing it because I'm like, I'm going to show you a different way that your book didn't show you. Right, a practical. <laughs> yeah, more practical. I tell them, look, I got the book part. I just kind of go around sometimes when I need to, and I do that from life experience. Yes, I know HIPAA. I know all of this stuff. I'm going to follow all the guidelines. I'm not going to get you in trouble. I just have to do things a little bit different. We're dealing with a different population. And unless you've been there, you know, you will know what I'm talking about. You know, these I, I've been because a lot of the kids we get, they're coming with, you know, CPS, they're social workers, whoever it is. We're getting kids that are, you know, they're in school. They're telling them, I, I want to hurt myself. And then they're like, oh, my God, you know, send them to the crisis unit. And then they're just like, I don't know. I'm just having thoughts. What do you have? I don't know. I'm just having thoughts. Man. I don't want to talk about it. Mm. You know, and they're, and they're like, yo, but they don't want to tell us what it is. Like, we can't get a, a thorough assessment. And I'm like, got you, don't trip. 
and I go in there and I do my thing and we're able to get that information. We're able to get them help, you know, without me violating trust. You know, and it's not just kids, it's adults, but they're, and they're like, yo, like, like, what are you doing? What are you like? I don't understand what, how come it doesn't work for me? And I'm all, have you ever been in the back of a cop car taken to McLaren Hall? Have you ever been to an orphanage? Have you ever been, have you ever been questioned by at least five or more social workers when you were a kid? Like, have you ever been at a therapy session and you don't know what's going on? No. Well, there's some knowledge right there when somebody has, they've done the work, went to school, and then came back. That's where I'm at. I don't know everything. You probably know way more than me. But when it comes to dealing with this population that we're working with, like, I'm going to connect with them a lot faster than you can. Now, once you recognize that as that's my strength, that's not your strength, I also recognize your strengths. You can make stuff happen with that pin or hitting those buttons that I can't do. So when I walk in your office and I say, hey, this person needs this, ah, Gilbert, I'm like, dude, that's what he needs. That's what they're here for. Mm-hmm. You make it happen or not? Yeah, I'll do it this time. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, they get they get them. They get mm-hmm. them. And I'm like, you, I can't do it. If I could do it, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be in your office. Like, I know you can do it. You have those little letters next to your name. I don't. Right. And, um, you know, that's a game changer. So my, my director is like, when I left the crowd, I still work there. I was there yesterday. I go on there. I'm on call. So I could go on there and pick pick my schedule. But, you know, I work full time at the prison. Man, they begged me not to leave. You know, they were like, please, Gilbert, don't leave. Like, like so much has changed. I went there yesterday and the A, I work AM shift. That's the hardest shift. It's the hardest because it's the most influx of people that go through there mm-hmm. and um when i worked there they now have double the amount of employees doing less work so their numbers right now how many people there they process in and process out i did it with one clinician one site one nurse me and a peer peer support coach. There was five of us on my team. And if somebody called off, it was four of us. So what we, the amount of people that we did and the quality of work, we did it with that team. They can't keep up. So they just been hiring more people. And right now they're, you know, their overhead is, is bad. Hmm. So they have like two clinicians, two nurses, two peers. And they got, now they have interns there. So I'm like, I went yesterday and I was like, you guys got all these people and these are your numbers? Like, what's going on in here? And the director told me, yo, they just don't, like, they don't want to work. So they're getting paid to not work. They slow drag everything. So people come for services. They, um, if 20 people showed up at the door, I'm going to get all 20 in. They're coming in. No problem. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to, Hey, I'm going to bring you, you're going to sit in this office. You sit over here. I'm hey, grab the nurse. Hey, I'm going to knock this one down. You come in because we, we're doing the intakes. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to do, I'm gonna, and we're going to jump around. And at lunch, I'll go, I'll go. And then 15 minutes after me, you go and we're going to rotate. So we had it down where we're always on the floor. We're answering the front door. Plus the police department, they bring a lot of people, probation, um, the, the different institutions bring people up. So, like we have to answer the door. 
It's a 24 hours. It's 24 seven. They don't know, like, there's no quota, like you have to do 20 people. So if you do 10, you're like, we were busy. Mm. running. It's like, I know, but everybody has, some people require more time. So it's hard to measure. It's like this person wouldn't give us answers. They were homeless. They could barely talk. So I was in there for like an hour trying to do this assessment. And I'm like, no, I could do that in like 15 <laughs> minutes with somebody that could barely talk. Like, mm. you, yeah, you incentive, man. Hey, I'm going to hook you up with a shower and I'm going to get you some brand new clothes. You want some shoes? Yeah, I'll be right back. Boom, here's some new shoes. Oh, man, these big, these are nice, you know? Hey. And see, I wouldn't know to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if, if all I have is the book knowledge and, okay, here's A through Z, what you're supposed to do for an intake, yeah. I wouldn't be thinking about bargaining, yeah. you know, <laughs> or whatever the other strategies are if mm-hmm. all I have is book knowledge, mm-hmm. you know? So yes. that's that's kind of the bad thing about that. But when you're hiring, they're looking at book knowledge and maybe some experience in that industry, but not that practical. No, it's hard to measure. It's hard to measure unless somebody knows how to to speak on it. You know, they, they got to go in there and sell themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I teach that to the guys in the prison. I'm like, bro, the hustle is the same thing as the street. It's the same thing, bro. Like your hustle when you were slanging dope, when you was running with, when you was trying to make your name on the street, it's the same thing in here. All you're doing is you're doing it within the legal parameters. You 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 find a way to sell to sell your gift. If you if you're good at speaking and you're good at working with people, then go in there and tell them how good you are and find all those little things. And you have to have the narrative for it. And, you know, it's hard, it's hard to believe it when, until you see it. You know, so I give them examples and I'm like, this is how I did it. This is what works. You know, and I figured out what don't work. And then one day I think this works good and I go try it and people are looking at me like, this is, you know, he's running a game on Everything ain't going to work, man. Everything will stick. But if you, uh, if you, you know, you grab those skills, man, grab those skills and you work with what you got. People that come from where we come from, man, you gotta you gotta grab all that tragic stuff that happened in our lives, and you gotta make it work for you in your life as you move forward. Those that figure that out, you know, they 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 have some forms of success. Those that can't, you know, they, they they're still in those stages of struggling, trying to figure that out. Hopefully, we we always hope that they make it, you know, because yeah. nobody's gonna fly in with a cape and save you, man. It's just you know that's fantasy, man. That's Superman. It, it don't exist. Well, I want to thank you for talking to me and taking part of your Sunday. <laughs> I'm going to let you go enjoy the rest of your weekend before we start this all over tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, so your email address, give it to us one more time. So if anybody wants to reach out. It's uh, B-A-O-G-I-L-B-E-R-T-7-3 at gmail.com. Okay. Cool. And I appreciate you too. Thank you for, you know, I feel like I got something out. It's kind of like a little therapy session. Oh, I'm glad I was able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, real talk. Um, I appreciate and I appreciate the work you're doing to bring awareness to something so tragic that a lot of people don't understand. 
outside of those that went that went through those experiences. And uh, we need that. We need the exposure. We need the accountability, and we need healing. Yeah. And, uh, part of the healing is what you're doing. You're talking about it. Thank you.